Good morning, everyone. It's so great to see you all here this morning. You guys really are. I'm going to you know, go off of what Sherry just said. You guys are like the ones. You're the chosen, the frozen chosen this morning. And I mean that in a good way this morning. It was six degrees out when I got in my car this morning. Six degrees. So good for you guys for coming out. And if you're watching from the live stream, welcome as well. You guys really made a wise decision. <laughs> I'd like to be at home watching the live stream from my couch and my jammies in Florida. <laughs> I do not like the cold. How's, that, how's everyone doing on their New Year's resolutions? Are we good? Are we making progress? Uh, I see the trick to New Year's resolutions, guys, and I, I don't make them because you never keep them, right? But the goal is to to make manageable ones, you know, like ones that you can actually expect to do. So mine, mine was to lose 10 pounds this year, and I only have 15 more to go, so <laughs> we'll get there. We're going to be in the book of Mark this morning, so you can open up there, Mark chapter 1. And if you were here last week, you would have um, seen Pastor Joe share his message, and he talks a lot about some of the characters that we're going to read about as we study the book of Mark. Um, he talked about Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and all kinds of, of people. He talked about synagogues and who would be in them and, and whatnot. So if you missed last week's study, I encourage you to go to our website and go ahead and, and watch that message. It gives you a little background as to what we're studying here. As far as the book of Mark goes, it was most likely written by John Mark, who's name, you know, John comes from Hebrew, uh, Mark from, you know, the Greek-Roman area. Um, this is the same John Mark who was uh, Barnabas's nephew. Remember Barnabas and Paul who went out on their missionary journeys together, and Mark went with them on their first missionary journey, but then Mark um, decided he wanted to go home halfway through the trip, and, and uh, so then when it came to the next second missionary journey, you know, Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go out, and Barnabas was, hey, let me go get my nephew. And Paul was like, nope, we're not bringing that guy. He'll bail on us, you know. Can't depend on him. And it became a point of contention, sharp contention. If the Bible says it was a sharp contention, could you imagine what that argument would have been like? So much so that they split ways, and Paul ended up taking Silas and going out, and Barnabas took his, his nephew and went out together. Now, what's great to, to know is that Paul and, Paul and Mark uh, made amends, and later in life, Paul talked about how great Mark was and how he was uh, important to him and, and wanted to be around him. So um, the Lord did great things through the life of Mark, and um, that's inspiring to me because if I could fail as hard as Mark did, then I'd still write a gospel that reached billions of people. <laughs> That'd be, I wish I could fail as much as, as Mark did, you know. Um, which I think is uh, a point of encouragement, knowing that, you know, it doesn't matter what you've been through or your failures in life, you can still do amazing things for the Lord. So um, this would also be the same Mark whose mother was the wealthy woman who was uh, housing the uh, prayer ministry when the, the people were praying for Peter's release from prison, you know, and they're in the middle of the prayer meeting, there's a knock on the door, and, and the servant girl opens up, and Peter's there, and she's like, ah, and slams the door in his face, you know. That's the same household. Um, so it could be that that point that Mark and Peter began a, uh, a acquaintance because most of what Mark has written down here has come from Peter. So it could almost always be called 
the Gospel of Peter because it was mostly from Peter's perspective. Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. He got all this information from others, mostly Peter. So that's where we land here as we begin a little bit of the background. Let's just jump right into it. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So the interesting thing about Mark is that he doesn't spend a lot of time with the background, like other gospel accounts talk about the birth of Jesus and, and the lineage of Jesus and all that. Mark doesn't spend time doing that because he's writing mostly to a Roman audience. So, you know, the gospels, the, the different ones, they kind of come from different perspectives. They tell the same story, but different perspectives. Much like a, a movie director, as he films a scene, he sets up more than one camera. That's the way we look at the story of Jesus and his life from four different perspectives. And we could all watch the same thing and come up with different takeaways from that, right? And so that's what really happens with the Gospels. The Gospel of John really presents Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, the book of Matthew presents Jesus as the King and just goes in great length into the teachings and sermons and beatitudes of Jesus. You don't find that in Mark as much. Mark is a very quick-moving chapter. In fact, we could make a game of it this morning of how many times Mark uses the word immediately. He uses that word over and over again because it's a very quick-paced gospel. There's only 16 chapters of it. But the the the, the perspective that Mark takes from this is really the perspective of a servant. So we see Jesus serving others. Um, and so here, he does quote from some Old Testament scriptures right away, but this is pretty much just about all he quotes from Old Testament. He doesn't quote hardly any Old Testament at all, just a couple of times. But he does mention here, behold my messenger, um, and he's quoting from Malachi and from Isaiah here, two different, two different verses. And John does come in verse 4 saying, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Now this would have been an amazing situation to behold because all these people coming from all the land, hundreds of people from Judea and Jerusalem coming to be baptized, it was not uncommon for Gentiles who are converting into the Jewish beliefs to be baptized as, you know, repenting and coming under the law. But Jews would not do that. They were the chosen ones of God, right? They were the Jewish people. They had the law to save them and all that, so they thought. So they would not make that outward expression of baptism. But these guys were. This is crazy. John is getting hundreds of people to come to him to repent of their sins. Like, that's amazing. How many of you guys have gotten hundreds of your friends to come to church and repent? Has anyone had, like, hey, you want to go to church this Sunday and repent? Like, that's a miracle. <laughs> God was doing something. People knew that something big was going on. It was just 30 years ago at this point that Herod killed all the babies in the land. They knew something was big was happening. They knew that the Messiah could be close. And it says 
that John, verse 6, was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. Now, this would have been a visual uh, reminder of who, whose spirit he came with. When uh, John was conceived, his father had an angel appear to him and said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to go forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So John just wearing this camel's hair, which would have been terribly uncomfortable in the desert. It's a very coarse hair and this leather belt. Um, Second Kings chapter 1 describes Elijah as a hairy man with a big leather belt. So like even just this visual representation of coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And John the Baptist, he didn't seemingly have power. He didn't perform crazy miracles. But again, I would vouch that having hundreds of people come to repent is pretty miraculous. So I think John did pretty good. The second part of verse 6 is always kind of grossed me out. Ever since I was a kid, though, it said he ate locusts and wild honey. Now just imagine that, locusts and wild honey. Now, as a kid, just the thought of eating locusts was just gross. But as an, as an older man, a man with a ridiculous beard... I think about how, like, sometimes when I have, like, waffles, I get, like, syrup stuck in my beard, you know? Like, I'll wa- try and wash it out. Like, hours later, I'll, I'll touch my face, and it's all sticky, and blah, it's gross, you know? Could you imagine wild honey being, like, stuck in your beard, and, like, then he eats locusts, and, like, wings or legs maybe, like, stick in his beard? That would just bug me. <laughs> Locusts and wild honey. I've heard locusts is like a delicacy in some parts of the world, but I'll, I'll pass on that. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. Verse 7, And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. This idea of building up who exactly Jesus was and the importance of Jesus coming. Because um, back then there was a saying that the teachers, the rabbis, could, could ask anything of their students except to touch their shoes. Because, you know, you're walking around the city, like, barefooted, just with sandals. Your feet are going to get muddy, sweaty, gross. You're probably stepping in animal feces and all sorts of... You can't... You don't ask, a, you know, someone to just touch your shoes like that. That would be reserved for, like, the lowliest people, the lowliest servants and slaves whatnot. So... John the Baptist saying, like, I'm not even worthy to change Jesus' shoes out, you know, is saying something really big about who Jesus is. In verse 8, he says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a huge but right here, I'm just saying. Because in between water, him saying, I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, some people say, I've been baptized You know, I was baptized as a kid or whatnot, so I'm good. I'm good with God. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. It's an outward expression of showing that you're dying to sin, right? You're being completely submersed in water, and you're rising up as a new creation in Christ, right? Forgiven. Um, Water can't baptize you, but he'll baptize you with the Spirit. And I'm amazed when I read that verse because I think... 
when, and we're going to see this in a couple of weeks, right? We're going to have baptism right here. People are going to be completely submerged in water and come back up. And John the Baptist is saying, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit in that way. Like, we know that Jesus comes into our hearts and dwells inside of us when we accept him into our life. When we ask for forgiveness of sins, he comes into our hearts. The Bible is filled with scriptures that talk about that. Uh, Romans uh, eight eleven is like a go-to verse for me that talks about like Jesus dwell or the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. But to have this concept that like we are baptized with His Spirit, He is like all over us. You know, we are new creations in Christ. That's encouraging to me. Like, I feel like empowered just thinking about that, you know? Not that it's anything of me and my own power, but like his spirit can just overtake my life and do great things inside me. Verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you just say that baptism was for sinners to repent? Why is Jesus being baptized? Well, for you know, a number of reasons. Number one, what better way to start a ministry tour than to, like, have a baptism festival? That's a great way to start a ministry. You know, second of all, it gives support and validation to what John's doing there in the wilderness, the desert area, you know, like supporting his ministry. It also shows that he relates to us, not in the way that we're sinners. Jesus never sinned, But, like, what a great example it is to all of us that Jesus got down in the water and said, yeah, let's do this. Let's, like, give this expression of faith to God, you know. And if Jesus was baptized, then I feel like I'd have no excuse to not be baptized, you know. Um, And so that's what it is. We're showing the world of our faith. Not that it saves us, but that it's just this wonderful, you know, you know, declaration to the world of of our salvation. And it says, immediately coming up from the water, verse 10, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Could you imagine what that would have been like to be there? If I had a time machine, like this would have been like within the top five places I'd want to go. Like one, I'd love to go to like the, the shepherds in the field, like at the birth of Jesus and the skies opening up. But like this would be like a close second or something to see the skies opening up and the spirit coming down like a dove and the voice of the Lord speaking. Um, without a doubt showing, you know, the picture of the Trinity and the, the power of Jesus and his authority. And actually... Before we move on to the next verse, it doesn't say here in this gospel, but if we went to the book of John, we actually read that it's right around this, during this baptism area, that Jesus first meets Andrew and Peter. It says Andrew was a disciple of John, and he went to go get his brother, Simon Peter, Simon, who Jesus changed his name, and brought him to Jesus. And that's when Jesus first said, I'm going to call you Cephas, which means rock, which is uh, where we get the word Petros or Peter from. Peter means rock. Petra, we've heard that. Petra is rock, which is why they were like the best 80s, 90s Christian rock band. Amen. All right. And if you don't agree, you're beyond belief. (laughs) It's a Petra joke. Anyways, um, so he changes Peter's name. So in a few verses, we're going to read that he 
sees Peter and Andrew and calls them to him. And a lot of people will be like, wait a minute, is John, the Gospel of John right? Or is the book of uh, Mark right? Like, when, when did Jesus meet um, Peter and Andrew? Well, he, he met them here at the baptism and then later calls them, which we'll get to in a moment. But immediately, uh, in verse 14, uh, no, verse 12, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. And there's just two verses that talks about Jesus being tempted in the desert. But this is a big deal. This is 40 days in the desert. In fact, even though it's just two verses here, the book of Matthew devotes like a whole chapter to talking about Jesus being tempted in the deserts. And his temptations were so that he can relate to us, that he can be our our high priest, our wonderful counselor, our, our, our go-to guy to help us through crazy times in our lives, to minister to us. And it's so important to think about this temptation. He goes immediately from a baptism straight into temptation. And after the last service, um, Pastor John Powell came up to me and was like, oh, you know, it's a great picture of talking about a new believer in Christ. When a new believer gives their... their um, their heart to Jesus, the first thing they're going to do is go through temptation and trials in life, like immediately. And I thought that's just such a great, great, you know, word of wisdom. So I'm sharing it with you guys here. And, and Jesus went through all that so that he can relate to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been tempted to turn rocks into bread. That's never happened to me. I've, I've never been tempted to jump off a temple building to see if angels will catch me. Like, those aren't temptations that have necessarily come my way, but have other temptations in life. In fact, this week, I had, to, honest to God, a, a massive temptation. You guys want to hear what I was tempted to, to sin this week? I said, yeah, we do, Keith. <laughs> I want to hear your sin, Keith. <laughs> well, let me share it with you. This is the, the truth. Don't judge me. Please don't judge me. This is just, I'm sharing my heart with you guys, all right? So, this week, my, my wife and I, I like to think we try and make a good team doing dinner and stuff together. Uh, we kind of have this, this uh, you know, like thing that we do. If she makes the meal, I do the dishes. If I make the meal, I do the dishes. So, it works out great, you know, together. <laughs> I'm kidding. I am kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. My wife, she's amazing, right? So, but we, we try and tag team. We try and help. I've been stepping up my game. She does most of the meals because if you've had my wife's food, she's amazing cooking. You know that. So, like, I deserve to do all the dishes. And, in fact, you know it's biblical that the men do the dishes? It's, it's right. It actually says in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 13, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So, men, it's our job. We got to do the dishes. That's, that's it. Um. So, I got to be careful. My wife's watching at home right now on the live stream. I love you. So, ever since Go Fresh came out, we started doing those meals. Has anyone done that? Hello Fresh or whatever it's called? I don't know. Like the meals they're delivering. I've been stepping up my game. So, I've been starting meals, chopping stuff, cooking. So, I'm, I'm start so I started dinner this night on Tuesday. And I, I'm trying to get everything. My wife comes home and she takes over. And I, I go, I need to finish something up for work. And... Uh, then my wife, she leaves in a hurry with our daughter to go off to trail life. It's like this um, Christian Girl Scout type of thing, you know. 
HG. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. The trail life is for boys. HG. I'm I'm horrible. Oh my gosh. Thank you for correcting me. My wife would have killed me when I got home. <laughs> HG. Anyways, uh, so so I'm doing. I completely told the wrong thing in the first service, and now that's all I could think of. Anyways, so I'm. So later she go, she leaves. I've got the dishes. I'm doing the dishes. I'm all alone. My son's in the other room, and uh, I'm doing. The, and lo and behold, there's this this tool, and I hate this. It's like this utensil to like ground beef, like ground ground beef, you know, in the pan. It like, and I hate this thing because it is a pain to scrub. I hate cleaning this thing. You know, it takes me like ten minutes just to try and clean all the bits of meat out of this thing, and I hate it. And my wife knows I don't like this thing. But she used it. In that time that I stopped making the meal, went off to do this, and she took over. She used this thing. So I came back, and I'm like, oh, this stupid tool, you know? And the thought occurred to me, you know, she's not here. My daughter's not here. My son's in the other room being a clueless teenager watching YouTube, like, on his phone. No one would know if this just disappeared. I can make it disappear. Just gone. Next week, she'll be like, hey, Keith, have you seen the, the meat tool? The ground? No, I don't know. Where I, it's definitely not melted and buried in the backyard. Definitely. Um, and it, I, I'm serious. I entertained this thought for like a good seven seconds, which really is like an eternity, right? That's a long time to, to think of such evilness in my mind, right? But don't judge me. It's not like this is an A through F grading system. It's a pass-fail, all right? So I think I passed the test. I, I was good. I scrubbed it. I love you, Rachel. I would never do that to your, to your tools. Um, cleaned it up. But, like, that was my temptation. So can, can Jesus relate to that sort of temptation? Like, I don't know. Like, you think Mary and Joseph were ever like, Jesus, clean up the table, please. You know, do the dishes or whatever. And Jesus was like, I'm just going to throw these away. I can just pick up the stick and make a new wooden bowl right now, you know? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But even though we don't read about the specific ways Jesus was tempted, you know, like he was in the desert for 40 days. Like he went through all of it. Like he can relate to us, you know? Surely there must have been a moment where he was tempted to say, God, why am I out here, like starving in the desert? Like this is stupid. I'm going home. Or... Be like, you know, I know how this is going to end. I think I'm going to back out now. Like, I think he was tempted. Jesus was tempted in ways that we can relate to and that he can relate to us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that Jesus knows what we're going through because he went through these same things. We have such great an advocate for, our, for us. So after verse 14 Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So this is that verse I was talking about a few minutes ago. Did Jesus meet them here, or did he meet them at the baptism? The answer is both. Like, there's some people, I'm not saying anyone in this room, but there's skeptics out there who would say, well, the Bible uh, has 
contradictions in it and verses conflict with one another. And, you know, it just shows you that you can't trust the scripture because these verses conflict with one another. Well, not really, because even though Jesus met them at the baptism, it clearly says that he goes off in the desert by himself. Like, what were John and, uh, like, what, what was Peter and Andrew supposed to do? Like, like wait outside the desert with, like, binoculars? Hey, what is he doing, Pete? I don't know. He's, he's staring at rocks, licking his lips. I don't, I don't, you're not. Like, no, they, were, they weren't hanging out with Jesus in the desert. They went back to work, right? They worked as fishermen. So they went off to their boats to do what they did. And when Jesus came back, he stopped by and saw them and then calls them and says, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And now that's like one of those verses that we see like, like on bumper stickers and like on t-shirts and stuff. And I know it's like in a bunch of songs, Christian songs, you know, like, come with me. I want to be a fisher of men, you know, that fisher of men type of thing. I'd like to think that that, like he used that because he was talking to fishermen. Like, I think he could come up with a different expression to talk to me or to talk to you guys. Like, whatever your profession is or whatever your, you know, job or career is in life or how you identify in your, in your life of, of what you do. Um, I was a cable guy for eight years. Could Jesus say, hey, come follow me. I'm going to help you give people the clearer picture, you know, the clearer picture of eternity, you know? Um, could he go up to a banker and say, hey, I'm going to help you uh, I'm going to teach you to help people find the true treasure in life, you know? Like, wherever you're at, God can use you wherever you are in life and make you fishers of men without being a fisherman. I just, I never, I never, like, respect to everyone who, like, likes to fish. Like, for me, it's never been a thing. And I know that's, like, sacrilegious to so many people. Me, I don't like seafood, and I just... I know it's a great experience for some, but like relaxing for me, I just, if I wanted to relax, I'd just go home, snuggle up with a blanket and a bowl of Oreos and a comic book, you know, that's like relaxation for me, you know, but like, just like identifying wherever you're at in life, Jesus can, can use you and make you fishers of men. Then verse 18, how fast did they leave their nets? Immediately. They left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, who were also in their boats, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So these guys, like, what, uh, you know, inspiring. Uh, you know, situation to, 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 to be inspired by. These guys were called by Jesus, and they immediately left their, their situation, their occupations to follow Jesus. Like when I feel like God calls me to do something, I don't immediately <laughs> respond all the time. Um, some, it's definitely the biggest things, life changes in my life that, you know, God called me to. I definitely wasn't as immediate as I should have been for sure, but these guys, they dropped everything. They to, to leave Jesus. Now, the, the second here, James and John, the second pair, um, it says they left their boat and they left the hired help. That means James and John's fishing business, it was pretty good. It must have been a booming business if they had hired help to help them on the boat. That means they left a life of like, I'm not going to say luxury, but like they, they left a, a life of knowing, you know, everything was going to be paid for. They, you could say, left their complete net worth behind to follow Jesus, you know? Um, 
that's a big deal. Would, how many people here would be willing to be like, yeah, I'll just like, you know, sign off my bank account to someone else and walk away to follow Jesus, you know? <laughs> that's pretty good. And they immediately went after him. Verse 21, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. He just uses that word over and over again, immediately, immediately. Such a fast-paced um, book here. And I feel like sometimes like someone should go up to Mark and be like, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> That's a Princess Bride movie reference for those of you who are like, what? Okay. Um, sorry. So immediately he entered, the sa- uh, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, note that this is the Sabbath, and he's going to teach in the synagogue. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard Pastor Joe speak about how the synagogues would have different teachers every week. It wasn't just one guy every single week. The, the, the leader of the synagogue would point, pick out teachers to come and teach every week. So that's a big part of Jesus' ministry was being able to go from synagogue to synagogue. That was a big part of Paul the Apostle's ministry, be, going into synagogue Every, every week and being able to teach because they would have roaming teachers. And they were astonished, verse 22, at his teaching, for he taught them as ha- one having authority and not as the scribes. Not as the scribes because the scribes and the other teachers of the day, they would mostly just quote old scripture and then um, uh, uh, um, reference other teachers and other rabbis and whatnot. So they were astonished when Jesus was teaching the word because he was the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus was the Word. So when he taught the Scriptures, he had the authority, and they were astonished. Now, verse 23, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now, pause right there to think. Where is Jesus right now? In the synagogue. He's at church, and there's an unclean, there's a demon-possessed man. Could you think? that you might have a demon-possessed man sitting next to you in church. Now, do not nudge your spouse right now. But have you thought about that? There could be a demon-possessed person in this room. I'm not saying there is, and I'm I'm not trying to make a big deal of that. In fact, I will straight away say that if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, if you have asked him to forgive your sins, as I just said a few moments ago, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell inside of you. And it is impossible for a demon to possess you. It just can't, they cannot coexist. The Holy Spirit in your life and a demon in your life, they cannot coexist. No more than a shadow can exist in direct sunlight. It just can't happen. They're complete opposites. They can't be together. Demons can afflict us and try and torment us and, and mess with us, like that demon trying to tempt me to burn my wife's cooking tools, you know. But they can't enter you. You cannot be possessed by demons. But this guy was, and he was at church, basically. I wonder how long he was there before, you know, anyone noticed, or if anyone noticed at all, but when Jesus entered the room, all the demons freaked out. They couldn't stand to be in the presence of Jesus. That's how powerful he was. I would certainly hope that a demon couldn't hang out in this church unafflicted because they'd be afraid of God's movement in this building. Um, But Jesus casts him out here, and this demon freaks out. Jesus comes near, this demon screams, 
out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then all were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with what this authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately, just that word, immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. They were astonished with Jesus' great authority. Not only were they astonished with his teaching, they were astonished with his power. I love how Jesus does this too. He says, be quiet and come out of him. That was it. And the demon had to obey and flee. He was like, hey, quiet, out. That was it. That's all he had to do. Didn't have to like get a prayer circle, lay hands, or do some chants, you know, and anoint with oil. Jesus' authority was get out, you know. Now, later on, Jesus does say to, some, to his you know, disciples that some demons can only come out through prayer and fasting. So, you know, I don't make light of that. But, like, you know, so often, like, TV and, like, you know, movies want to, like, show, like, people being, like, exercised and demons coming out. And priests are, like, you know, have crosses and doing weird things and chanting weird things. Like, it's the power of God, you know, the Holy Spirit that has that power to cast out demons. And it's not even a big thing for him. So they were astonished with what great power he had, and his fame immediately spread throughout all of the region of Galilee. So verse 29, they are now leaving the synagogue. This takes place right afterwards. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon Peter's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So first of all, it's worth pausing and saying that apparently the first pope, Peter, was married. Just saying. So they told her about him, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. That's the power of Jesus. Immediately the fever left her. Um, So again, this is one of those seemingly conflicting stories because the book of Luke talks about this story. And he writes this down as Jesus rebuking the fever, and the fever came out of her. Well, which one is it, Keith? They can't both be true. Either he spoke the fever out, or he healed her by touching her. We can't believe any of this. Let's go. That's what skeptics would love to point out, right? I don't know. To me, that doesn't seem like a conflict at all. Do you think Jesus could have been like, I command the fever to come out of you? And, like, take her hand and pull her up. Like, they could easily both be true, right? I think Jesus was a gentleman. He would have helped her up after rebuking the fever to come out of her life, right? People want to make a bigger thing out of things than they they really are sometimes. So he rebukes this fever. The fever leaves. He helps her, heals her. She comes up. And immediately she starts to serve. That's, like, such a mom thing to do, right? Like, Immediately just start serving and cleaning up after everyone. Um, and I mean that with, like, the greatest respect, you know. Um, you know, there's so many great characters in the Bible that would be awesome to meet. Like, we think of, like, you know, Daniel and David and Noah and all these great characters. But, like, when we get to heaven, like, this lady would be a lady, you know, worth checking out, saying, hey, I want to be like you. Like, you just, the moment you were healed, you were ready to get up and serve. She had a servant's heart like that. Verse 32 says, At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered 
together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, what's interesting about this, verse 32, is it says that evening, at sunset, they brought the sick and the demon-possessed. Why would they wait until the evening? Why not just bring them to him, like, as soon as you heard that Jesus has his power, why not just bring the sick to him immediately? Why would they wait till sunset at dark? Because the Pharisees made up a rule that you weren't allowed to be healed on the Sabbath. And so that's how, I mean, like, as far as, like, I mean, the Pharisees were, like, so legalistic and stuff. Like, they just constantly were making up rules and saying this is against the law and that's against the law. As far as, like, those, th- this has got to be, like, in the top five stupid things that the Pharisees made up. You're not allowed to be healed on the Sabbath, you know. Um, but Jesus Uh, So people were afraid of this, and so they waited until sunset to even bring their people to Jesus to be healed. And he did it, and he didn't allow the demons to speak. You know, demons, they weren't just crying out to Jesus because, like, oh, you're the son of God. We respect you. We're out of here. Demons were, like, trying to screw over Jesus' ministry on their way out by saying, you know, like, hey, this is the Messiah, everyone. Check it out. Jesus was like, no, I don't need you to give me any press. I don't need demons speaking about how great I am. But also, stop trying to rile everyone up. Jesus, uh, Pastor Joe talked about um, the zealots last week. Man, if the zealots in town heard Messiah's here, huh? Let's go fight. Let's, man, let's bring the kingdom right now. We'll have stirred up everyone. So Jesus is like, no, no, let's not get, I'm happy to heal you guys, but let's study the word together. Like, let's talk about salvation first. Like, that's the more important thing. So he was constantly quieting everyone, didn't want everything to get out of control. It says in the morning, verse 35, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. Let's go, Jesus. Like, we've got this great, like, healing ministry going on. The people are waiting for you. Let's go. And Jesus was like, nope. Verse 38, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Jesus knew what the will of God was. He knew his priorities in his ministry wasn't just to heal people and cast out demons. His main priority was spreading the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation, much like our priorities should be. But Jesus knew what his priorities were because he spent that time with God. It says he rose up. Now it said they waited until sunset to even bring, he spent all day like preaching, like in the synagogues. Then he went home and like people brought her to Simon's house People brought all the, waited till sunset to bring all the people to, he stayed up for hours probably like healing and ministering to people. And then it says he got up early, long before daylight. He probably only got like a couple hours of sleep. No wonder he could sleep through a storm, you know, on the boat. Like this guy was exhausted all the time. Um, but, you know, this idea of like, he, he made time for God. And I, I am not a morning person. I am not a morning person. I hate mornings, you know. I can stay up late easy, you know, like just last night, I was like up until like 1230, just like reading the word and like just hearing from God. That's where I can hear from God the most is when the wife and kids are in bed, I'm downstairs in the basement listening to like maybe some chill music in the background, studying a bowl of Oreos by my side. I I seriously have a problem, guys. I know. (laughs) But like that's when like God speaks to me. Like, yeah, you should absolutely pray in the morning. But if you're not a morning person, that means you, you can't, like, well, I'm not a morning person. Guess I can't hear from God in my life, you know? Like, 
God can speak to you anytime, anywhere. You should make time to seek him out at some part in your day. Morning's a great place to start, though. Verse 40, as we close up here, it says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out of town, He went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter that city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. So as we start to close it up, I'll invite the band to come back up. And this this last story about Jesus healing this man with leprosy You know what the rules were for for leprosy back then? 